0: We'd like to read our scriptures today. Our Old Testament text is from Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 8 through chapter 3, verse 11. Ezekiel. Let me set some context for you. Ezekiel was one of the young men, he and Daniel, who were taken in the first time Babylon captured Jerusalem in like uh, 599. And uh, so he's been living in... In Babylon by the river Kabar and all of a sudden he gets visions from God and God lifts him up and God's going to make him into a prophet so he's contemporaneous to Jeremiah but somewhat younger than Jeremiah Jeremiah has been prophesying already by for like 30 years by this time but his prophecies from Babylon are going to uh, confirm what what uh, Jeremiah has said we'll see he does some of the things here that uh, John will replicate in, in on Patmos. Listen here to God's word. God is speaking to Ezekiel and he says, Now you, son of man, listen to what I am speaking to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I am giving you. Then I looked and behold, a hand was extended to me and lo, a scroll was in it. When he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and back and written on it were lamentations, mourning and woe. Then he said to me, son of man, eat what you find, eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he fed me this scroll. He said to me, son of man, feed your stomach and fill your body with this scroll which I am giving you. Then I ate it and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. Then he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with with my words to them. For you are not being sent to a people of unintelligible speech or difficult language, but to the house of Israel, nor to many peoples of unintelligible speech or difficult language whose words you cannot understand. But I have sent you to them who should listen to you. Yet the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, since they are not willing to listen to me. Surely the whole house of Israel is stubborn and obstinate. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like Emery, harder than flint, I have made your forehead. Do not be afraid of them, or be dismayed before them, though they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, take into your heart all my words which I speak to you, and listen closely. Go to the exiles, to the sons of your people, and speak to them, and tell them, whether they listen or not, thus says the Lord God. Amen. Our epistle reading is from Romans, the 11th chapter. Verses 17 through 32. This is in that very, very difficult, yet pregnant with meaning, section Romans 9 through 11 that Paul uses uh, to explain what God's doing with uh, Israel and Gentiles and stuff. And we sucked out just one little portion here. And it's an important portion because it, it, we have to get this idea in our mind if we'll understand what God has done and is doing. Uh, in the apostolic era. Listen here to God's Word. But if some branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich food of the olive tree, do not let, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith, do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, severity, but to you, God's kindness, if you continue in His kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved just as it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion, he will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel they are enemies for your sake, but from the standpoint of God's choice they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you once were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience. So these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience, so that He may have shown mercy to all. Amen. And then Revelation chapter ten is our primary text today, verses one through eleven, which is to say the entirety of the chapter. This is sort of an interlude between the sixth and seventh trumpet call. Uh, we'll we'll see what it says. Listen here again to God's Word. I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book, which was open. He placed his right foot on the sea, and his left on the land. And he cried out with a loud voice, as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. When the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, "Seal up the things which the seventh peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them." Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land, lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it, that there would be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished. As he preached to his servants the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven I heard again speaking with me, saying, Go take the book which is is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel, telling him to give me the little book, and he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And in my mouth it was sweet as honey, and when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Amen. We'll take just a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's word, which we've read. We uh, are here this morning and we want to hear from you. We want to be fed by you. Uh, we want to follow faithfully uh, what you say, what you show us. So come by your Holy Spirit, minister to us, guide us into your truth. We ask through Christ Jesus, our Savior, and the Lord of all, amen. Many of you have asked about my retirement plans. So uh, the big thing about me is that I'm worried when I don't have a salary check, what am I going to do? And uh, yikes, (laughs) what am I going to do? No salary check. I decided I'm going to write a book. It comes from our text today. Those seven peals of thunder. John was told, it says here, here's what it shows. I'm going to show you on the screen here. It says, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. So no one knows what those seven peals of thunder said. I'm going to write a book telling what those seven peals of thunder said. How about that? It'll make waves. It'll sell like hotcakes. <laughs> Salary check, hello. Well, actually, I don't plan to do that, but I could if I wanted to. I mean, anyone can do that. What is the significance of these seven peals of thunder? We want to start there. The first thing is that they are sealed. They are, in fact, sealed. Why? Well, we have another example of where things are sealed from the book of Daniel. and. Uh, So, the first verse we have up here, it says, The vision is true, but seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. That's what it tells us in Daniel. There's another place just later on in a few chapters where it says, Conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end of time. So, uh, one presumes that these seven peals of thunder, likewise, are sealed up for a much later period of time. By the way, that much later period of time for Daniel turned out to be uh, between four and five hundred years until Christ came, and uh, those things are all filled, uh, shown there. We'll talk about that later. Therefore, what we know about the book of Revelation is that there's more to come. It doesn't tell it all. Uh, Not all of what John saw was near history. Now there are those, these are called the full preterist people, who say that the general resurrection and the return of Christ has already occurred. They say all these things are past history. Now I think a good bit of of revelation is past history, I don't have any problem with that. And we learn much from that, just like we learn from the Corinthians and Ephesians and others like that. Uh, But we know that not all has happened. There's a place in, in 2 Timothy, it says... Uh, There's a men who have gone astray from the truth, saying the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. So there are those who would say that. Uh, Anyone who knows, or who says he knows, what the seven peals of thunder's message is, if I were to write a book like that, you would know that I am a false prophet. Okay, just just so you're aware, just make that clear. Uh, I'm a false prophet. Therefore, there's this sealing up, and no one knows. You know, there's a verse in Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, that we need to remember. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. There are some things we're just not going to know. You wish you did, but you don't. So, we don't know what the seven peals of thunder said. We can have intimations about what they, we can trust, I think, that they're about judgment. God's thunder is always about judgment usually. So, about that, but just what we do not know. Uh, now, what about John They're on Patmos? At the outset, this whole vision that he has, we're told, I'm saying this again, chapter one, verse one says, these are things which must soon take place. So they're not sealed up. He said, for the time is near, in verse three. He records that. So the book of Revelation, most of that is not sealed up, the seven thunders are, most of that's not sealed up, it's, it's, we assume the time is near, it's what it says. Uh, Guess how the book of Revelation ends. Here's what it says in Revelation 22, verse 10. He said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Wow. Now, this is a key to understand, I think, to the proper understanding of the book of Revelation. It's not about things way off yonder. That's sealed up. It's about things that are near. And this is why when you date the book of Revelation, it makes all the difference in the world. And what I've suggested to you, what I believe, is that Revelation was written around the year 65 or 66. And the things that are described there, for the most part, happened by the year, end of the year 70. And so he's giving a warning to people. He has words there that are for them. Uh, now, what about this little book that John's supposed to eat? The strong angel has a book in his hand. It's a little book. Not a big book. Just a little book. It's, but it's open and uh, we find things that are there. It's not the same as that book in chapter 5 that was all sealed with seven seals. It's not that. That had to do with with God's work all through history, the whole purpose and plan of God. This is something smaller. It's little, the Word says that it's little, perhaps to indicate to us this is just a portion, just a portion of what God intends to do. And John is told by the angel to take that book and eat it. Just like Ezekiel had to eat that book, just like Jeremiah, you can find where he had to eat the, the words there, and they're sweet. Now, we don't believe that he took a shoot <sharp inhale> on the paper like that. Remember on, on uh, Wednesday evening, if you were here, I mentioned that uh, uh, you know 50 years ago on Wednesday, uh, I crossed the equator on the USS Tulawila ARG-4. I was officially listed in my Navy service records as a pagan. And in in the last 50 years, well, soon after that, God saved me. And I, I said something, which I didn't think about it here, but it's a good point. I said, all this time He has fed me. And I said, I fed myself too, right? I did that. But He fed me, and by that I meant He's given me His Word and it was sweet, it was good, it built me up and changed me. And so, when they eat the Word, they're eating the Word of God, they're taking it in, not chewing on a piece of paper, all right? It's a picture, just so we understand that. Uh, It's sweet to the taste. If you've not tasted the sweetness of God's Word, ask for Him to give you that. If you're a born, if you're a child of God, you should take, now you have to read the Word for that to happen. You have to be reading it, you know. But read it, and and He'll make the Word sweet to you. Uh, But it's bitter in His stomach for John. Uh, It doesn't say that Ezekiel and Jeremiah had had the same experience. It was bitter in their stomach, but I think it was the same. Because each of them had a harsh message for their contemporaries. Just like John has a harsh message message, Jesus speaking through John, has a harsh message for the Jews, for all the world who have rejected Christ. Uh, So, they had for the Jews back in, before the Babylonian captivity they had Ezekiel in Babylon, Jeremiah in Israel. It was a double-barreled shot. Boom! They had to know what God had said. And for the most part they rejected it. That's why they end up in the full Babylonian captivity. Both were mocked, both were rejected. And John has a harsh message as well, this little book, which I think is the book of Revelation. In it, there are these hard words to the seven churches, which we've already read. Not all words are hard, but some of them are hard. He says, watch out, unless you repent, look out. I'm going to take your lampstand away. And there's hard words there. And you have to deliver those. There's things he says about kings. There's things he says about nations. Uh, there's things that he says about how the gospel will come to all. The whole world's going to hear the Gospel. Uh, some of these things that He says will build folks up, others will tear folks down. This angel is meant to articulate all of what God writes here in the book of Revelation. The tribulation that He describes here in Revelation that happens to the land of Israel uh, is a severe tribulation. Jesus talked about it in the Olivet Discourse, severe tribulation. It's not the last tribulation, there's more, it's repeated ones that come on. When God comes and deals with nations, deals with people, there's repeated uh, tribulations. Now, who or what is this strong angel? It's a good question. Here's my answer. I believe that the strong angel is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not the guy on the white horse in chapter six, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, he's not that guy. But He is the same guy we'll meet in chapter 19, verse 11 on the white horse, with a sword coming out of His mouth, a picture again. He is that. Well, someone says, well, how can this angel be the Lord Jesus Christ if He swears by Him who created heaven and earth? Well, would God swear? Let's look at Genesis chapter 22, verse 16. Uh, God is speaking to Abraham. This is when Abraham has Isaac on Mount Moriah. He says, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. And he goes on and makes promises to Abraham. God swore to Abraham, made an oath. In Isaiah chapter 45, we hear God again. He says, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness. I will not turn back that to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. Of course, we hear that repeated by Paul in Philippians and other places. So, we're sure that that's absolutely true because God has sworn to it, to Himself. Uh, In Amos chapter 8, verse 6, we read, The Lord God has sworn by Himself, the Lord God of hosts has declared, I loathe the arrogance of Jacob and detest his citadels. That is, God judges, God estimates, God discriminates and evaluates. Uh, And he says, by myself, this is true. Now, when he does this, he's not just doing it arbitrarily or, or, uh, it's for a very important cause and time that he does this. Uh, So we find that in uh, Hebrews chapter 6, it's repeated. When God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one else greater, he swore by himself. Now, here's an aside. Is it okay for us to take oaths? That's been a source of some contention. And my contention is that yes, it is, in the right circumstances. You let your yes be yes and let your no be no, in ordinary circumstances. But if you're before a judge and jury, you're supposed to take an oath, that's fine. If you're uh, entering into some particular service where uh, they require that, that's fine. But not just as a way of, of making all your words sound uh, more uh, with more authority than they all have to take an oath that way. Uh, Abraham swore an oath. This is in Genesis chapter 14, verse 22. He swears an oath to the king of Sodom. So, Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn... and." You'll see the, in the margin in the reading, it says, literally, what it says is, I have lifted up my hand, just like the angel does here. I have lifted up my hand to the Lord God, most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And he says he's not going to take anything from Sodom. That's, that's all he says, no, no goods from Sodom. But he swears. So, that's just an aside. That, not here. Now, I said I think that the angel, the strong angel here, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll find people have all kinds of opinions about that. But I want you to know that I'm not alone on this. So here's Joel Beakey. Uh, here's what he says. Now Beakey is a contemporary scholar, uh, head, of a, head of a ministry seminary out in, in the Midwest. He'll be here to uh, the uh, Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology speaking. As will the next guy I'm gonna quote. But he says, so it is legitimate to identify the mighty angel of Revelation 10-1 as Jesus Christ. All the insignia of deity are evident with this angel. So it's okay to do that. Now another guy I'm going to quote is this guy named Greg Beal. He teaches down at Westminster. Uh, Chris and Michael and a number of of our guys who've gone there, they've had him in class. Here's what he says. Therefore the angel is the divine angel of the Lord as in the Old Testament who is to be identified with Christ Himself. So just so you know that that's, what I'm saying here is not completely off the wall. Now, what should we see and what should we hear from this angel, from this strong angel who we say is Christ? Well, let's see how he positioned himself. One foot on the sea and one foot on the land. What does that mean? A huge, gigantic angel who touches, you know, is above the whole earth. It could be that. God is certainly that able to do that. I think, though, uh, a much better way to understand this is that he, he, you know, his he's over the sea, which are the Gentiles, and the land, which is the land of Israel, his people, his chosen land. Uh, he's over all those, and he's resolving the differences between them. Now, in Revelation seventeen fifteen, we see where the sea is. Uh, God tells. Uh, John, he said to me, the waters which you see where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Now all throughout the Scriptures you find that the sea is identified with the Gentile nations in rebellion against God. Think of Psalm 93. The waves have lifted up the Lord, they have lifted up their voice. Uh, There's there's all kinds of places where where that's the case. Psalm 42, uh, etc. The land though, I think, belongs to the land of Israel, the people of Israel. Uh, The promised land, the land, that's the land. You know, the major paper in Israel is called Haaretz, Haaretz. It means the land. Today, the the land, that's where we are. And so, we have have these things going on like that. Now, uh, at issue for us is what it says in verse 6 of chapter 10 of Revelation. In verse 6 says, there will be delay no longer. What? Of what? What will there be no delay any longer? And then verse 7, very next one says, Then the mystery of God is finished. What's going on? Well, here's the big issue. Are Christians and Jews the same? All the early Christians were Jewish. They kept going to the temple, they kept doing all the things that Jews do. They, they, They believed in Jesus as well. But then God acted. And he said, Peter. I want you to go to the house of Cornelius. And uh, he went there, and guess what happened? Despite himself, he preached there, and Gentiles believed. They believed in Christ. What should we do now? Gentiles, can they believe in them? Can they become one with us? Well, what about the Jews who reject Jesus? Jesus. At that same time, all around, there were some who received Jesus, there are those who rejected him. What do we say about him? How do we resolve? It? And Gentiles are coming in who shouldn't be in at all. Very, very confusing to people. Uh, that's where Romans 11 is very helpful for us. It talks about breaking off and transplanting or grafting in. Great image. The root does not change, one must be connected to the root. Jesus is the root. He's the one who all this flows out of. So, how you're related to Jesus makes all the difference in the world. There's a good text in 1 John 5, verse 12, says this, He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. It's very simple. clears up all the confusion. Now, Ephesians 3, I'm gonna quote some things from there, makes it very clear. Let me, let me put that up here, it says, Paul writes, says, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel, which is the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things. So he says, the time is near, there be no longer a delay, and the mystery of God is finished. Jesus is the answer. He's the finish of all. says we need to know that. How people relate to the Lord Jesus Christ is the foundational event of everyone's life. For you, for me. How do you relate to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you part of that root that goes all the way back to creation, to the Garden of Eden, the promise of God there? How are you related to Him? He's the Savior. You must know that. And if you reject Him, You're rejecting God and all His promises. Paul in Ephesians 2 uh, puts it this way, but now in Christ Jesus, you Gentiles who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. May I say to you, that's the burden. Of, in the context of most of the New Testament. That whole issue. What do we do? Galatians is about that. What do we do with the law? How do we do it with, with Gentiles? It's about this issue. How do we understand Christ? And how do we understand the Old Testament? How do we understand the, the temple and all the sacrifices and things that are still going on there? Well, God is a God of graciousness and He allows 40 years for people to push in the clutch and shift gears, as it were. He always does that. He gives 40 years of... Let's let's get used to this. And again, we don't have time today, but many, 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 many thousands of Jews believed. But the Jewish establishment did not. They've said no. And so God's gonna make a very clear word. He's gonna speak, a word of judgment. And the word of judgment is the temple will be gone. Jesus said not one stone will be left upon another. There wasn't. Jerusalem will be raised, it will be gone. And so, that whole issue of should we participate in sacrifices is obligatory for us, should we be circumcised or not, is all gone, it's resolved by God Himself at the end of 40 years from A.D. 30 to eighty-seven, when it's all gone. Soon after that the Jews themselves, they both agree, uh, or they agree with that. They say, we're, we're, the Christians are not part of us. And they added a 19th benediction. Blessed art thou, Lord God, King of the universe, that we're not Christians. They do an anathema to Christians. Uh, they say that. Christians, however, realize we're free to go to the whole world. Don't delay. Don't hold back. Don't worry. Don't be concerned. You have to bring people to the temple or do this or do that. Don't worry about it. Go and preach Christ. Tell the good news of the Gospel. It's for all. So, Christians should be against Anti-Semitism. We believe that Jews are still called of God and in due time He'll bring them all back. I say, all oh, all who are alive then, people who've, who've lost, they're lost, but He'll bring them back. But we believe that, that, that it's your relationship to Christ that makes all the difference in the world. Uh, so we want to be light to the world. It will be sweet like it was to... The taste of John to Ezekiel to Jeremiah. The Word of God is sweet. But there will be a bitterness in it as well. A bitter sweetness, maybe, perhaps we should say. Because if you're light in Christ, if you love Him, there are things that you will dislike. There will be things that you cannot affirm. There will be things that you must speak against if you're going to honor Christ. And it will always be in the context of where we live in this world. And you cannot be sweetness and light all the time. God said, hate evil. And that's not a pleasant thing to do when the evil's all around you. But we want to be light, the light of the world, sharing about Christ. There will be people who resist, but let us, purpose, like John, to take God's Word, to eat it, enjoy it, And be valiant for the truth. Even if it means, like it did for John, that we end up being exiled on Patmos. Or if we end up, like in China today, where there are Christians in prison because they bore valiant witness to the light. People who say no to Christ. No more delay means that there's no more concern that we have about how do we relate to the temple, to all the Jews, to all that. We're related to the root. They need to come back and be connected to us as well. Amen.